Hello and welcome to Total Recall ASM 19 on the Word on the Go podcast. Throughout this series we're going to be bringing you all the talks and seminars from this year's festival. We hope you enjoy. Hello. Hello. Hello everybody. Hello. You're all alive and well. That's great. Uh, Guys, you're very welcome to the CIID Connect venue this afternoon and we are very privileged to have our main stage speaker for today, Rachel Gardner. Put your hands together for Rachel. (laughs) Rachel is very in demand, isn't that right, Rachel? Now, Rachel is a very long time friend of Sarah Manis and we are very grateful to have her here today for everything. And I I asked her a few, well, how long ago? A lot while ago to come and do uh, a seminar for us. Um, so, yeah, um, for those of us who, who maybe don't know, um, Church Fan Youth Department uh, exists to support youth leaders um, and churches across uh, Ireland, North and South. Um, and part of our venue then here in Summer Madness uh, is to really have a leadership stream um, for uh, you know youth leaders um, in churches and in lots of other backgrounds as well. Um, and this year we had, we had Matt Peach here yesterday looking at... Um, Outreach, and we had an, another one before that. Tom Tate, uh, uh, like my brain is literal mush. Tom Tate and Paul Keegan uh, looking in a different area, working with young people as well. Um, and now we have Rachel with us uh, looking inwards. Um, so Rachel, yeah, well, let's pray for you, and I'll hand over to you. Let's pray for you. Uh, Lord, thank you for this time together. We thank you that Rachel's here with us, and we thank you for her expertise and the gifts and abilities you've given her. Um, and Lord, just whatever our context is, Lord, we just pray that today we would get some pearls of wisdom, and you'd inspire us afresh. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you. Well, I'm very amazed to see any of you because it's, it's uh, day four or five, isn't it? And you're probably exhausted. And this might have been the shower slot where like, young people don't need you anymore. So thank you for coming here. Um, Simon asked if I would talk about Inward. So pastorally caring for young people as they navigate the tough times and the complex issues that affect them and their peers. And I went away and thought, I could either zone in on some of those key pastoral issues or I could zone out and think about the bigger picture like what is it about youth culture today that means that these issues that have always affected young people questions of identity mental health issues these are not new things but what is it about this moment in history that mean these things have been weaponized in a way that previous generations just haven't had. So that's what I've chosen to do. And I said to my friend Martin, I think I've planned a talk that I find really interesting. And like the rest of you are like, oh, she's gone to her nerd place. She's like geeking out on stuff that like, it's just too big picture. So my hope is that actually this gives you a bit of a frame of, of, of not just like the, the bit of important work that you are doing with that young person in that moment, but it helps you pull back a bit and go like, what is it about this age that is making this even more challenging? I think there are better people that can train you and equip you around the pastoral stuff, around mental health and anorexia and bulimia. There are some better voices than mine onto that. Um, so I would encourage you to go, go search for people to talk into that stuff. I'm conscious that when I speak at some man, I often talk about sex. I'm not going to be talking about sex very much today. 
<laughs> the four of you sat on that sofa. So uh, in a minute, I'll ask you to turn to the person next to you. And if you need to escape the seminar because you thought I was going to talk about sex, that's absolutely fine. <laughs> it's my other f- uh, favorite topic, philistical. So I thought I'd... Um, Open with some stuff. Does that sound okay? Does that sound all right? Brilliant. And I also just want to, as an aside, absolutely honour you. I think it's never been as important to be youth workers as it is today. I think you are leading young people not just into the moment when they are able to sit through adult church and your job is done. I think actually what you are doing is leading, help lead the church into the future. Because I think if church leaders are not listening to under 30-year-olds, genuinely not listening, then they're in danger of leading the church into a future that does not exist. And actually, your role as a youth worker is actually a very prophetic and apostolic role. You're not just doing something for the youth while they're teenagers. Actually, you are helping in the front line do some of that thinking of what will the church of tomorrow look like. Our young people are the church today. But in what you're learning through how you're leading and discipling and reaching them, you are learning precious tools that church leaders are going to come to you and say, like, what, what is it? Like, the stuff that you're dealing with is not just for teenagers. It's, we're seeing it across all the age groups. So it's a really important role that you have. So, um, so my family, um, in two weeks' time, we are moving from London, which is home. It's my safe space. People in London are extrovert and they talk to complete strangers. Like, I am normal in London. Take me out of London. I'm, I'm, I'm a weird, freakish extrovert that, like, rubs strangers' arms and stuff like that. But my family, God is calling us to move to Preston, which is near Blackpool in the northwest, where they wear, like, wet weather gear and they wear vests to keep warm. This is out of my comfort zone. So we're moving to a church plant. My husband's a vicar. And we're doing an HTB church plant into the city of Preston, which we're so excited about. Um, but we've lived in our home with our two little kids. We've been there for over 18 years. Our two kids are not that old. Um, and so we've collected loads of stuff. Like, I just hoard things that I might one day need, like those particular pink high heels and that particular stuff. Like, I, I hate chucking stuff away. But in the process of moving, I'm having to go through the house and work out, like, what stuff are we going to take with us to Preston? And what stuff do we just need to get rid of? Like, I don't need that stuff anymore. It's like a big rummage sale. And there's an amazing woman who died recently. She's a, a Christian theologian, a thinker um, in, based in the States with the most amazing name. And her name is Phyllis Tickle. I mean, what a great name. It's an awesome name. And she talks about how every 500 years throughout church history, the church has gone through a big rummage sale. Like a huge kind of everything goes up in the air. And we work out as a church, like, what is it? What does it mean for us to be church? What does it mean for us in this generation to be Christians? Like, what is the stuff that is just cultural and what is the stuff that we must not let go of? And she traces it since uh, the birth of Christ. I'm going to take us quickly through it. I told you I was nerding out. This is me nerding out because I love this so So uh, every 500 years or so, the church uh, sort of chucks everything up in the air and says, what's going to So to begin with, the great transformation. So the birth of Christ. And we see a man who his name is Emmanuel, God with us, and he radically transformed forever our relationship with God. So if you read the Gospels and just look the number of times that Jesus says, God is my Father, 
it is just astonishing. Like up until that point, nobody has called God Father. Of course they haven't. Jesus comes and says, you want to know who God is? He's got a name. His name is Yahweh and his name is Father. Like, he is my father. He is your father. The prayer I'm going to teach you is our father. And he massively transforms how we view our relationship with God and all the things that Christ made possible. Then flick on 500 years, and we have something called the Great Collapse. So this was the collapse of the Roman Empire. And it's at this time that we see the rise of monasteries and convents, and the church kind of hides away in the gaps and goes into retreat in many ways. And then 100 years from that, we have something called the Great Schism. Stay with me. It does get interesting. And the Great Schism is where we see the shift between the Greek Orthodox Church going in one direction and the Roman Catholic Church going in the other direction. And then flick on 500 years, and we have something called the Reformation. Whoopity whoop whoop. And this is the idea that actually people need to be able to read God's Word in their own language. We shouldn't have to have somebody that understands the original Greek and Roman and whatever it is. Actually, we could read it in our own language. God could speak to us through Scripture directly. And these people lost their lives over this stuff. This was like crazy new revelation. Then flick on 500 years to where we are now, the year 2000. And many Christian commentators are calling this the great emergence. It's another one of those huge upheavals where the church is saying, what does it mean to live for Jesus? How do we handle stuff around sexuality and gender and the role of women? Like, and, the, and do we remarry divorced people? Like what this stuff that for so long has been unquestioned, what do we do with that now? And of course, Phyllis says it's not just something that happens every 500 years in church. It happens in culture too. And the reason I put all that out there is because it's really important that we remind ourselves, we remind ourselves as youth workers that we are working with young people at a time of unprecedented, chaotic upheaval and change. Like if it feels like everything is up for grabs in culture, it's because it is. And the way it lands so much for young people is around those really hot topics, around mental health, around suicide, around identity crisis, around sexuality, around human relationships. And I want to put it kind of in the frame of those 500 years because actually when I read that, and you might not agree with that at all, and you might think that's just a load of me nerding out for no, for no apparent reason. But actually it makes me step back and say, what? is it about this age? What is God doing at the moment? What is happening as all this stuff is being chucked up in the air? And what is God calling of us into that space if all these things are up for grabs? If people don't agree with authority or believe authority anymore just because of authority, then, what, then what's our role in that? Because the big question every 500 years is, where does the authority lie? Does the authority lie in the church being part of the state or separate? Does the authority lie in the mo in monasteries? Is the authority in the Greek Orthodox Church, the Roman Catholic Church? Where does the authority of Scripture lie? Is it in the priests that can understand it, or can you hear God's voice for yourself? And that's the question for today. Lots of the pastoral issues that you and I are facing with young people boil down to this. Who's got the truth? What is the truth? Who's right? Where does the authority lie? 
And um, I'm someone who will quite happily call myself a Christian feminist. I think there are definitions of feminism that I don't aspire to at all. I'm not a radical feminist. But as a woman who believes that God made men and women equal, I totally, totally support a lot of the feminist ideals around women who are in oppressive situations being released from that. I think Jesus is all over that. But when I look at cultural... Actually, I can't remember what I was, why I was saying that. Why was I saying that? Where was I going with that? Oh, yes. Where does authority lie? Thank you. I'm back in the room. I'm here. I'm here. I'm back in the room. The reason I'm saying that is because a number of Christian women at the moment are saying to me, well, I don't need to worry about the Bible because the Bible is a really patriarchal book. Like, the Bible is really bad news to women. Look at how women are treated through the Bible. Like, what can I, as a woman in the 21st century, take from Scripture? And I'm hearing increasingly from young Christian women, the Bible doesn't have any authority in my life because the 21st century notions of feminism and equality I don't see that in scripture because I don't see that in scripture it doesn't have any power in my life today do you see what I mean about the authority piece where does the authority lie so the bible says stuff around human relationships and sexuality but the bible was written 2,000 years ago in an age where there wasn't consenting same-sex marriage relationships so does the Bible have authority to speak into this situation when it was actually answering a different question? Like, where does the authority lie? And for those of us who are youth workers, guess what? We are theologians. We are theologians because we have to do that deeper work of understanding God. Where does the authority lie? What is Scripture saying? What is the trajectory of Scripture? What are those things that we as Christians are going to look each other in the eye and hold on to? And what things that we need to challenge? These are big questions for us, aren't they? Okay, I feel like I've spoken too much to begin with. I'm going to ask you to turn to the person next to you. And just, I'm not going to get any feedback, but just like off the top of your head, just do a little kind of response to the stuff I've just talked about. What do you think about what I've just talked about? That thing about authority. Have you heard about that before? Does that resonate with you? Is that what you're seeing young people are actually questions there are questions about sexuality and relationships and that kind of stuff is that what it boils down to for them actually they're saying is the bible true is the bible good does it have any place in the 21st century i know jesus does i like jesus <laughs> but some of those tough passages like just have a little chat with the person next to you just have a little feedback on what you just heard me say okay <laughs> Bless you. I feel like I'm being a tornado. <laughs> I could calm it down a bit. Because I, I think this stuff is, is really interesting. It, these are really important questions that we as a church are asking. And we're asking, like, how do we handle Scripture in the light of our young people's lived experience? Like, how do, we, how do we hold all this intention? There's a great theologian called John Stott, who also has died recently. Um, but he said this, that we need to do double listening. We need to listen to the world. Like, we need to feel the weight of the pain in our society. We need to not be dismissive of the questions that are being asked or the multiple identities that come through or the, the ways that culture tries to make sense of this chaos as well. Let's not be dismissive. Let's not engage in language like God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Like that's so belittling of something that for some people is like life and death stuff. Let's not dismiss culture's way of trying to wrestle with this. 
But equally, let's listen to God's word. And let's listen to God's word to be shaped by God's word, to be anchored by God's word, to allow God's word to be like grit in our shoe that like, God, we're not going to try and make culture fit into your word. We want to make your word make sense of how we're seeing culture. And the question that young people are asking around this time and time again, I think is saying to me this, they don't just want to know the truth of Christianity. Is Christianity true? Is God true? Is Jesus true? They want to know, is Jesus good? Is he good? Like, if I dared live the Jesus way, is that going to be good? Is that good for me? And I think at this time where everything feels up for grabs, it also feels to me like the definition of what a good life looks like is also massively up for grabs. If you look at this picture here. You've got the be- Honestly, I'm on it with Love Island. I was chatting about Love Island in my last seminar. But just these kind of zeitgeisty ideas, these visions of what the good life looks like is empty and hollow. And I feel that culture now is beginning to really wake up to that. So many young people I work with are so tuned into how empty and vaporous and vacuous that is. And yet they have nothing else on offer. So they know it's empty. But what else is there? There's um, this guy with the hat. It's called a a Luke Vade Menon. And he says this, there are as many genders as there are people on the planet. There are some very strong ideas in culture at the moment that are quite toxic. And one idea is that gender in and of itself is dangerous. That's where we're going to be in five years' time, I think, that gender itself is seen as a limiting, damaging idea. And the only way to a good life is that everybody is free to totally self-define every aspect of themselves. We know just how completely crippling that is. Rather than being liberating, that would be so much more crippling. Um, This, uh, I haven't, uh, my usual, my rules, there's Um, A campaign at the moment around um, pro-life, around abortion, that has this. It says, if a woman has the right to defend herself against a rapist, which I absolutely agree with, but if a woman has the right to defend herself against a rapist, she should also be able to use deadly force to expel a fetus for violating her privacy if the fetus is unwanted. And the kind of the horror, the evil of that that idea... (laughs) That if I'm pregnant and it's against my will, it's basically violating my privacy. So I'm going to kind of use brutal force to get rid of this fetus that's, that's here and it's unwanted. Like, like the, the kind of the conclusions in culture around some of this stuff is just frightening. And also recently, Children's Society said that more than 100,000 young people last year in the UK were denied mental health services. So we are at a significant moment in history and there are significant casualties and there is significant pain. So what do we do as pastors? What do we do as missionaries of God's truth? Because you and I know that Jesus is the good news. He's good news. And if he is good news, he has to be good news for every area of life, every sector, every sphere of life. And for many of you, you might be the first generation of leaders in your church community, even in your church, that's prepared to wade into some of the really difficult conversations. Not because you've got like a great love of making stuff awkward, but because you're so convinced that Jesus is good news, that you're willing to kind of help young people treasure hunt that in every conversation. Like you'll talk about stuff that you don't still have the answers to because you're convinced that actually whatever the answer is, Jesus is part of that somewhere. 
whatever you're wrestling with, Jesus has good news for you. And so what I want to spend the rest of the time talking, um, oh yes, actually, these are some great questions. If you guys don't receive stuff from Barna, Barna are a group in the States who they're an evangelical research group. They do loads of research around young people's attitudes and stuff, and they have massive, massive numbers of young people taking up their surveys, so it's great stuff. But they talk about these being the five key questions that young people are asking. Number one, searching for identity. Like, who am I really? If I'm working with the young people in my church or school setting, and they present to me any issues around identity, whether it's, I think I'm non-binary, I think I'm transgender, I'm not sure about sexuality, whatever it is. Um, what I'm trying to do increasingly is, is say to myself, here's a precious young person who is, who is asking the who am I really question. And they're living in a culture that will very quickly answer the who am I, with some very quick labels. And I want to help them do the deeper work of who am I really? Like, who, who really am I? And rather than quickly buying off the shelf the, the easiest, most convenient identity that makes sense, I want to really help this young person delve into who they are. The second one is fighting anxiety. How should I live in today's world? How do I cope? How do I cope with the pressure that I'm under? Experiencing loneliness. We have a generation of young people who experience deep social loneliness. And I think social media, for all that it can be a powerful, wonderful tool, actually is fueling and training a generation of young people to, to not know how to communicate deeply and intimately their deepest selves. I think social media can be a brilliant tool for good, but I think we need to wake up to the fact that it is recalibrating our relationships. It's a fact. So we need to be youth workers who deliberately help young people find spaces to really share their deeper selves with other people. Are they cutting the grass? Just wondering what's happening out there. <laughs> they are cutting the grass. That's a wonderful time to cut the grass. Um, the next one, harnessing ambition. What is my purpose? Young people are asking that question, aren't they? What am I here for? And the last one, feeling entitled. Like, what matters beyond me? What's out there? outside of my experience. Brilliant. So I've got um, a four ideas I want to bring to you. And I think I'm taking inspiration from two approaches. Number one, as youth pastors, I think it's really important that we focus on shaping faith identity. So for our young people who are choosing to be disciples of Jesus, we can't now expect, and I, and I think even though Northern Ireland is a different context to London, increasingly we're aware that actually there are not the props in culture that support a young person's decision to follow Christ. That actually choosing to live for Jesus is for many young people giving them a kind of a sense of I'm choosing to go against the flow. Like this is, what does it mean that I'm choosing faith identity in Jesus? I see in London, like the Muslim young people I work with, they've got this one nailed actually. Muslim young people in North London I work with are quite a persecuted group. And because they're quite a persecuted group, they have a very strong sense of faith identity. Where a group of young people feel they are kind of bullied and vilified because of their identity, their identity gets hardened and shaped and formed in a way that often we don't see elsewhere. And I'm wondering for our Christian young people, as they enter a space where increasingly society is hostile towards their faith, I wonder if the flip side is we're going to start seeing young people 
disciples that we are disciples, we think, oh my goodness, they are so much more courageous than I was at their age. They are so much bolder with their faith than I was at their age. Because actually saying, I am a Christian, is outing yourself. You haven't got a culture around you going, oh, that's nice, you're a Christian. It's like, you're, you're what? You're a, you're a Christian? I think we're going to see a shift in that. So focusing on faith identity, and second, being cultural missionaries. Our challenge is finding the most powerful and fruitful bridges to cross to reach a generation who are post-Christian. Like, what is the most fruitful work to do with them? What's the most resonating stuff? And I think, talking about Romance Academy and No Sex Please with Teenagers, the reason I think Romance Academy for so many years became church's missional project is because youth workers know instinctively, we know that young people are not necessarily asking, is there a God? Like, where do I go when I die? But they are asking, like, what is love? What is a relationship? What's real? And so projects like Romance Academy become one of these cultural bridges that we can cross. It says, I know what you're asking. Come here and explore it with us. And you are asking about young people from the first TV program, Byron and those lot, they are still journeying in their faith. They are still pursuing Jesus because what they discovered in that first TV program, that Romance Academy, is I didn't know the church would be a space where I could ask the big questions that I'm asking. I didn't know that youth workers could be people that I could safely ask the big questions with. And I wonder if for us, mental health is the new thing for us that we have a generation of young people needing to talk about the mental distress that they feel, the discomfort, the uncertainty, the identity questions. And I wonder if that's one of those cultural bridges that we say, actually, as a church, we're going to focus a lot of our time and energy around resources, around mental health. Not because this is more important than the gospel, but because this is the good news. This is the good news young people need to hear. They need to hear there is someone that can help them with this stuff. So here we go. So I've got four ideas for you. How are we doing? Are you still awake? Brilliant. Wonderful. Close your eyes. What color are my shoes? Shout it out. Oh, you guys are so observant. Well done. Right. Okay. So number one. <laughs> number one choice then. Number one choice. I think it is so important that we as churches engage in deliberate strategies that help foster intentional Christian communities. And what I mean by that is seeing that part of the work that we do is creating plausibility shelters for our young people. A youth worker brilliantly, I, just, I don't think they're here, I'm sure they wouldn't mind me saying this, came and challenged me just now before I came over here and said, look, I want to take you to task on how you led the response this morning because you said in the Q&A that I could, so I'm doing this. So he and I had this brilliant conversation about how do we as leaders make sure that we don't manipulate responses out of young people. I'm so glad he came to talk to me. It was really good. We need to be able to have those conversations because I know what it's like being sat there with your wonderful young people and there's someone at the front going, let's get some plinky-plonky music. <laughs> Let's get the emotions going. Three, two, one, respond. And I've sat there as a youth worker thinking, you're not getting my young people. <laughs> Over my dead body are you getting my young people. But I think we as youth workers need to work out how do we build these plausibility shelters? Create these spaces where we make it more possible for young people to choose Jesus. Recognizing that there's nowhere else in culture where that's being done for them. 
that in this youth group, at Summer Madness, in your Sunday sessions, in your one-to-one sessions, that you focus on creating an environment where you make it possible for a young person to consider what choosing Jesus would look like. Now, I'm not saying where we manipulate situations and we say, oh, next time you're in that situation, you could do X, Y, and Z. But we say, okay, living for Jesus means that our money is his money. So imagine that this week you're going to spend your money in a way that you know God will be like, wow, you're, you're stewarding that money so well. Like, what would those decisions be? And you're creating this environment where you're saying to everyone, look, it's possible to spend your money in a way that's different to culture. Imagine this week that every decision you made about your interaction on social media, like you and Jesus sat down beforehand and agreed what that would look like. Like, how would that change how you showed up on social media? Like, what would you wear? What would you say? What would you not say? Like, imagine actually that the, the, the things that Jesus asks of you, how you use your body, how you treat your body, like how far you go sexually in relationships. Imagine this week that for a week you want to kind of say, actually, I want Jesus. Every time I make a decision about sex or about my thought life, I'm, I'm going to say, Jesus, what do you want me to do in this situation? Like, what would you do differently this week? That is creating a plausibility shelter, helping young people think, oh, it's possible. It's possible in this day and age to live differently. It's possible to live for Jesus. And these people around me are going to help me try and work out what, what some of that might look like, like trying on some of these behaviors. The beautiful thing about discipling young disciples is actually in many ways they have less hang-ups about this than we do. And I remember one about five years ago, Jason and I were... Um, leading a little discussion group in our, in our house once a week. And it was young people that had become Christians. They'd come to Romance Academy courses. Um, they'd become Christians like out of nowhere. They had no prior Christian experience, like no baggage, nothing. They just met Jesus, thought he was pretty amazing. We're like, yeah, I'll get, I'll get baptized. I'll become a Christian. So that kind of, the stuff that makes you go, have you done Alpha? Like, do you know the five steps? Have you prayed the prayer? No, these guys just like, love Jesus. I'm a Christian. And we would go around the room and we would do like the highers and lowers of this week. Like what's been really good this week in terms of your Christian life? What's been a real struggle? So these are completely unchurched young people who just met Jesus and they want to follow him. So their response would be, one guy was like, um, I won't tell you what Byron said, but one guy one time said, well, it doesn't matter how much pot I smoked this week, I just couldn't get off my face. <laughs> it just wasn't working. And Jason was like, Oh, it's really interesting. And we went away and we thought, do you know what? That's, that, these guys are getting it. Like they're realizing that following Jesus will make a real change to, to their everyday lives. And they're realizing that what God has to so much better than what they were finding in a spliff. But they're kind of in that in-between stage. Like they've not yet walked away from drugs but they're realizing that Jesus is good news and is better news than that. And it was such an exciting kind of group to lead because we as leaders had to be really comfortable with that kind of mess. We had to be, because actually I would rather them come and be real about that than rock up and think they had to pretend. I'd much rather they say, yeah, I'm messed up. Like, just watch way too much porn this week and I just don't know how to get handle it. Right, let's talk about it. So what could be some of the practices this week that'll help you do that differently. Does that make sense? So I, I call them the, pra- the acts of engagement and the acts of resistance. 
as a disciple of Jesus, what are the things that Jesus is asking you to engage with? Like, what, what are some of the things in culture you're going to throw yourself into? What are those things that God's stirring in your life that you're really passionate about? And what are those things that you know are damaging, that are hurting you, that are hurting others? Things that you're going to begin to develop resistance around. And yeah, you might mess up. But the more you go for this, the less you'll mess up. And the more you'll realize that God is strong in your life. Does that make sense? So choice. Making sure we're saying to young people regularly, how can you choose Jesus this week? And how can I help you choose Jesus this week? And I'm prepared for you to come and have those tough conversations with me where it's all gone really horribly wrong. Brilliant. So one, choice. Number two, challenge. Tony Campolo said, we won't lose this generation to Christ because we made discipleship too difficult, but because we made it too easy. Young people are looking for a faith that works. That's good, not just true. So we need to make sure that as youth pastors, we are also developing opportunities where young people can really try on faith in challenging ways where we do gently like push them out of the boat and say, what are you going to do in this situation? That's why we do things like street reach, isn't it? That's why you take them places to do things, a challenge to be in a situation of challenge. One thing I just want to sort of chuck out there is I think sometimes we misunderstand the difference between discipleship and raising leaders. It's not the same thing. We have raising leaders programs but discipleship is something different. Discipleship is what every Christian goes through. And discipleship is not what I do to you. Discipleship is what I do alongside you. And it's really important that as we're discipling young people, we make sure they have lots of older Christians around them who are willing to kind of expose their life to them, to kind of say, this is what it looks like for me to choose Jesus in all these situations. Like, make sure you have lots of other voices inputting the youth ministry, talking about what does it mean to serve Jesus and be a business person that's in hotel rooms and people are offering you, like, prostitutes. Like, how do you choose Jesus in that setting when you've got loads of money and the temptation is to just kind of build a cushy life? Like, how are these people choosing radical friends to Jesus when they've got a lot of money or when they've not got much? Challenge. Number three, encounter. And I love so um, I, uh, a couple of years ago, um, the local LGBT youth group in uh, my part of North London shut down. And I'd built a relationship, a friendship with a person, the youth worker who was running it from the local council. Um, and just so that you know, our church is fairly conservative, orthodox. It's an evangelical church, has a conservative view around human relationships and sexuality. But it's a very safe, welcoming place to everybody. But... Um, wouldn't marry a gay couple. Um, and this youth worker knew that, but also knew that we love young people and that we seek to be as safe and as kind. If young people don't feel comfortable in our church, that, that we find a church that is LGBT affirming where they can be disciples. So this youth worker knew that I was a safe pair of hands. And she said, look, we're shutting down this, this LGBT group. They're all girls. Two of them are non-binary. One's transgender. Um, and they just desperately want a weekly group. Like, and I hear that you've got a girls' group at your church. Could they join you? <laughs> I was like, of course they can. Of course they can. But I'll come and meet them so they know who we are, so it's not like manipulated. Um, so I went to meet this group of young people. And I said, this is who we are. 
this is what our girls group is about. And actually the girls group wasn't a Christian discipleship group. It was for girls just in the local high schools with poor self-esteem that were referred to us. Um, and so I said, this, this is what we are and this is what the, the group is and all this kind of stuff. So these girls came every week, every week, every week, every week, every week. And me and the other leaders, we were just praying, God, how do we introduce these amazing girls to you, Jesus? Like, how do they meet you in us? Because this group is about self-esteem. We're not really mentioning Jesus. It's in a church building, but we want them to encounter you, Jesus. And um, there was one night where the worship band was practicing in the main, the main hall. Um, and the guys had, like, put loads of beanbags out and, like, little fairy lights because we were having a worship night for the church. And, um, and the whole way through, I was delivering what I thought was an amazing self-esteem session. The girls were like, can we just go in there? And I was like, no, I'm delivering this good stuff. Stay here. I've got donuts. Don't go and listen to people worshiping Jesus. I've got donuts. And then realized how ludicrous it was what I was saying. And I was like, well, why don't we just scrap the group and let's go and listen to the worship band. So we went in and the girls just all lay down around and for about half an hour was silence. And I just said to the worship band, do you want to just keep worshiping? These, these girls want to be here. And it was extraordinary watching them. And then at the end of it, they came back in and it, they'd had the most incredible encounter. And, and I, in that moment, I just thought, oh my goodness, I still think that I need to prepare young people for Jesus. <laughs> When Jesus just says, get out of the way, shut up, get out of the way and let them encounter me. And I just want to encourage us. I'm, I'm conscious that we're worried about emotionalism. I'm conscious that we don't want to put young people in spaces where they feel out of their depth or many young people struggle with highly emotionally charged environments. I have a daughter, an adopted daughter, and that's her situation. There are many young people, for whatever reason, struggle to be in dark rooms with loud music. I, I get all of that. But I also know that sometimes the best thing that we can do is just stop what we've planned and create a space where young people can just be quiet and, and just meet Jesus. And he can do his brilliant stuff. There's a beautiful quote here by um, Paul Jensen. It says this, Slowing and stopping the addictive pace of this generation so that it can rest, will be impossible without God's intervention and a caring community. Young people need the grace of God to help them feel at home in time with him and with others. And this will take a major infusion of God's power over the gods of this age. God will come to them and do for them what they cannot do for themselves making room for himself in time and space. And I get really choked reading that because I, I think if one of the things I want to contend for for this generation is that they find peace, that they find peace. There's so much distress and pain in this generation. You saw it last night in the response with stuff that Tim was talking about. Like there is so much pain, emotional, mental pain, and our heart is that they find peace and rest. And not that then they hide away in this bubble, but actually that fuels them and fires them to be agents of transformation in this culture. And that's, that's what God's called you and me to do, to be agents of peace, to open up spaces where young people can encounter Jesus. And because so many of them now are post-Christian, it will feel flipping messy because they'll respond in ways that we think, I haven't got a textbook for that. 
Like, what do I do with that? I don't know, but God, you're big enough. You're here. Like, God, you are here. And this lovely youth worker that challenged me about getting the band on, I said, one of the reasons I asked the band to come on rather than silence was that that lovely worship band, the reason they're here at at Summer Madness is that they want to serve these young people and lead them into God's presence. So if I ask them to lead a bit of background music, I'm actually saying, will you create a beautiful space of worship? Will you just surround these young people who are opening up their hearts to God and all the mixed motives that go with that? Will you just surround this space with some beautiful praise and worship to you? Because that will do something beautiful in us because God created us as creative beings. We're supposed to respond emotionally to music. That's how God made us. Christians, we're supposed to be the most you know, outrageous with that stuff. That's how God made us. Encounter. So what are you doing? Not just to respond with sessions and programs and ideas for the pastoral issues. But how are you creating this space where young people can bring their own pain to God themselves? Where they can lament the stuff that breaks them. Where they can grieve the stuff they can't even name. Where they can just be in their confusion and know that whatever's going on for them, God's got them. I'm going to end with this because I realize that time has run out and these notes weren't very good anyway. <laughs> but there's a, there's a passage in Isaiah where I was preaching on it once in a youth setting. And I was like, if you think God loves smiting people, this, this is the book that is all about the smiting. Because Isaiah is like, one chapter is like, God smites the Babylonians. Next chapter, God smites Moab. And then like chapter seven, God smites the earth. It's like it's now just like gone for the whole lot. And then in chapter 27, you have Judah, God's people. And they sing this song, God, you are our walls of salvation. And I suddenly read that and thought, like, how thick would those walls around you need to be? To know that whatever chaos is raging in the world, God is your refuge. Like, how thick do those walls need to be? Like, we're not talking one little red brick thick, are we? Like, we're talking those big, stinky, stonky, like, those buildings that have, like, been built in 103 BC or something. And they're still standing. And they're, like, about, they're about, like, this thick. Like, if you, were, if you were behind that thickness of wall and there was a storm, you would feel safe, wouldn't you? The walls of salvation. And God comes to this generation. He says to them, I am your wall of salvation. Like, I am your refuge. I am your hiding place. Like whatever is raging in your life, I'm showing up in your life and I have everything that you need. So I want to encourage you as you as youth pastors and as I wrestle with the big stuff of our age in the great emergence, as all of these things are thrown into the air and we often feel absolutely on the front line of this and we're not sure how to communicate stuff. We're not sure how to handle passages in scripture around homosexuality we're not sure what to do with a young person that says i don't think i'm male or female like what do we what do we do with that like these are really important questions to wrestle with like open scripture dig into scripture chat to christians that whose opinion you trust and love talk to your church leaders but also in the midst of all of this create spaces where young people can bring all of this themselves to jesus because i believe it's the spirit that convicts us of sin. It's the spirit that leads us into all truth. 
And as we're working this stuff out as well, if we're creating spaces where young people can meet with Jesus and they can love loving Jesus and they look at Jesus and say, I, I don't quite get what all this means yet, but you're good. And whatever you're asking me to lay down, I'll lay it down for you. I think we're going to be pastoring a generation that will take our breath away. And I, I'm passionate about theology. I'm passionate about truth. But I'm most passionate about young people meeting Jesus. I'm most passionate about that. And, I, and yeah, I'm going to stop now because I'm going to probably break into things <laughs> with Julie Andrews singing. But this is, a tough, this is a tough time to lead for us, guys. It's, t- it's not easy being a leader for this generation. Have you thought that, that God, before the dawn of time, knew that you would be a youth worker now? Like, God shows you. He set you apart. Like, it's no mistake that you are in these young people's lives. So I want to pray for you just to end, because I've talked about lots of stuff that I get excited about. And I know that God is excited about you. And as we wrestle this together, let's make it our hearts cry that Jesus, the young people on our watch, learn to love loving you. And by doing that, Lord Jesus, you will work deeply in them your good and perfect plan. Yeah? Can I pray that for you? Yeah. God, you're very, very good. And whatever is going on in culture today in church, and we know, Lord, we just look at things like Brexit and the rise of populism across Europe, and we look at just the ongoing lack of peace in the Middle East and the wars and the rumors of wars and just the tectonic plates in culture that are shifting. Everything fills up for grabs. Things that used to be stable are not stable anymore. God, part of us knows that's kind of the reality of, of life. But it also feels like there's a new shuddering that's happening, a new uncertainty, a new chaos in culture. But God, we thank you that you are unchanging, that your word stands and we can stand on your word, that you are not only good but you are the source of all goodness that you are the source of life that disconnected from you what can we do but wither and die and connected into you what can we do but live forever and God our hearts cry is that we will be leaders who will contend to our dying breath for this generation and subsequent generations to be fully grafted into the vine, to be fully plugged into you, to find life in all its fullness in you. God, will you raise us up to be the leaders that we need to be? Will you reveal to us your truth, your wisdom? Will you speak to us through the pages of Scripture? Will you speak to us in the intimacy of our own hearts and our souls and our psyches? Will you speak to us through each other? Will you shape us and stir us? And will you bless us, God, because we need your blessing. We need the power of your spirit at work in and through us. And will you bless this amazing team of leaders here, Lord, where they feel weak and at the end of what they can do. God, will you show up in mighty power? And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Word on the Go. 
For more information about the festival or to contact us, please visit us at www.summermadness.co.uk forward slash festival or reach out to us across our social media platforms.